Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 154 of the Familypreneur podcast. I am so grateful that you are joining us today, and I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. If you haven't already subscribed to Familypreneur, make sure you hit the subscribe button on the podcasting platform that you're listening to this podcast on right now. This way you don't miss another one of our episodes. We've got lots of great stuff coming up for you. Now, today's guest has been a passionate volunteer in the Hindu youth community for over 20 years, and she's an accomplished academic with degrees from Northeastern University, Harvard University, and Simmons College. She's worked with multiple startups, helping them refine their brand identity and develop their marketing communications. She believes that we need diverse children's literature for a diverse world, and she's leveraging her unique set of skills and experiences to change the face of children's publishing through her book series, Barat Babies. I'm excited to introduce you to Silaja Joshi. Hey, Silaja, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to finally get you on the phone. I feel like we've both had some conflicts that keep trying to keep us apart, but we will prevail. Uh, I know the season of winter, aka flu season or, you know, cold season has kept us apart. But now we're together in the spring of, you know, this year. And that's what happens when you've got kids, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They don't always share, but when they do, it's germs. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that chocolate ice cream that they're having. It's definitely germs. (laughs) Exactly. So let's learn a little bit more about Barrett Babies and how that got started. Yeah. So Barrett Babies was founded in 2014, but really the idea was percolating in my mind much earlier than that. It was when I was pregnant with my daughter, who is my oldest, and it was around 2013 and I was having this library-themed baby shower, as you do in the age of Pinterest, of course. And I was really... Um, excited to put books on my registry. I have been a bibliophile my entire life. Um, I'm an academic at heart. I love reading. And so I had all these books. And as a sociologist, I knew just how important it was for my daughter to see herself in the book she was reading. And I just wanted her to stay connected to our culture, history, and heritage. You know, I'm a first-generation Indian American. So is my husband. I just wanted her to stay connected. And I went on to Amazon, I went to my local bookstores, and I started to try to put things on there. I couldn't find anything. And what I did find was really messed up. It was, you know, either developmentally inappropriate, meaning like it wasn't going to be good for my daughter to read right away. Um, 
culturally inaccurate. Like I saw books that like, just like were factually incorrect. Like somebody didn't go to Wikipedia or they were culturally insensitive. And I couldn't believe that somehow a community of 1 billion people didn't have books that reflected them, you know, that could be easily found here in the United States. Of course, there were some in India, but they weren't here in the U.S. And so I really marinated in this with this idea. Um, I joined a sociology PhD program at Northeastern. And I remember in a car one day just talking to my friend, being like, I can't believe this doesn't exist. And she was like, why don't you just do something? And I am an entrepreneur at heart, in addition to being a bibliophile. And so I was like, maybe I do something about this. So it was about a year later, um, I actually left my PhD program and started this little company with $1,000 of seed money from Northeastern, actually, believe it or not. Um, And Barth Babies launched. And the rest is history. So do you have entrepreneurial like background in your parents or in your husband's parents? Is there anything in that lineage? Uh, no, except for the fact that like when I was in like first and second grade, my mom tells these stories of how I really loved crafting and I really loved making money. And my parents always had me, you know, if I wanted, they were really great. Like they always give me money for books, clothing and stuff like that. But anything like extra, they wanted me to earn, which I, I really appreciate. And I think it was great. And so I would take these like little crafts like the shrinky dink crafts i'd make these keychains and stuff and i'd sell them for profit and i'd sell them to my classmates and i knew like the seasons in which to do them i did them around the holiday time mother's day was huge for me and my mom was terrified that my teachers were somehow going to have something against this my teachers were some of my best purchasers so like i have always had this like spirit of Ooh, let me sell that. Let me do that at heart. But always something that people needed and wanted and loved. You know, I didn't resell things from the dollar store. Instead, I resold handmade things that I knew um, kids' parents wanted. And so I think that has just always been with me. And so I kind of love that I'm on this journey. So you got $1,000 of seed money. Yeah. How did you know what to do with it first? Like, were you going to write all these books? Were you going to illustrate them all? How did you know what to do first? Um, so I quite early on in the starting this process realized that I, I was like, ooh, I would love to write these books. And I have an amazing friend who's now actually, she's our, you know, flat, like first author. She's our senior editor, Amy. And I like, we were part of the same mom's group. So we were talking and she gave me this whole like lesson essentially on what it takes to write a children's book. And she was like, go do it. And I tried to do it. And it was really hard. It was like really, 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 really hard. And I realized it wasn't something I was enjoying. And I had just come out of a place where I was doing stuff I didn't enjoy. And I realized I really wanted to do something that was empowering and empowered other women's voices. And so I was like, well, I, I can, I told Amy this and I was like, would you write my book? And she was like, okay. Um, and so that's how I found my author. And then she was like, we need an illustrator. And I was like, great. How much will that cost? She's like, you probably need, you know, anywhere from a thousand to $2,000 in an advance. And I was like, I don't, I don't have this economic capital to just, that's not in my back pocket. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I was, 
telling this idea. And so I'm a Northeastern alumna and they had just launched this venture incubator called Idea. And as part of it, they had this, what's called a prototype fund. And the prototype fund was a thousand dollars outright for you to test your idea, to buy materials, to get web space, to do whatever. Like it's truly just a thousand dollar gift. And so I applied and I got it. And I then reached out to my mom's group again, because at this point, this they, they, I reach out to them for everything. I'm like, what size jeans should I be wearing? How do, <laughs> how do I make sure my kid doesn't get a cold? Where do I find an illustrator? So I reached to them and I was like, hey, does anyone here know a children's book illustrator? Like I'd be, I'd love some recommendations. And one of my friends was like, oh yeah, I have a friend named Tim. And the moment I talked to Tim, I was like, I need to hire him. And I remember my CMO on the other end, she's like, Silaja, you can't just hire the first person you talk to. And I was like, yes, I can. It's my company. I can do whatever I want. But we actually did our due diligence. We talked to a handful of other people and he was hired. And I was just up front. I was just like, listen, all I have is $1,000. If you can't work for that, I I really respect that because I get it. This is your livelihood. But that's all I got. And I have a mission and a plan and stay with us. And he's illustrated like, I think at least seven books with our company. Oh wow! Um, since then, he's a phenomenal human being. Amy's a phenomenal human being. And I'm eternally grateful because um, Amy wrote this story, but like it, when you're in picture books, um, it's really the illustrations that make it. And Tim has worked with like Disney, Elle magazine. He had plenty on his plate and had no need to take this on, but he heard my mission and it resonated with him. And he's like, okay. So what makes diversity in children's literature so important? Yeah. So I tell this stat a lot. There are five times as many books about dogs and trucks than there are about all children of color. Like when you take a moment and sit with, yeah, when you take a moment and sit with that stat, and realize that like in my lifetime as a bibliophile, I probably had four books that had someone on the cover that might have looked like me. In that day and age, it was probably someone who was Latinx, African-American, not even of Asian origin, you know? And books are windows, mirrors, and sliding doors. They're windows that allow us to reflect and see ourselves or mirrors rather, they're windows in that they allow us to like peek in, especially if you're not from that same culture and community, peek into new communities. And finally, they're sliding doors and they allow us to step in to different spaces and communities. And when I started this company, I had thought that it's probably going to be people like me, first generation, second generation Indian Americans. And what I quickly learned, especially sort of in this political, very like political climate, that parents who are raised in this generation are just committed to creating and raising a generation of culturally literate global citizens. And that starts with books. Like we talk about a seat at the table. I talk about a place on the bookshelf. And the fact is, is children of color are so deeply, deeply underrepresented in these fundamental spaces that help to like shape their entire existence you know? And so they're important because they show representation. They allow kids to ask questions in really safe ways. And they expose children to just different realities from what they know and love and are living. And that 
is so fundamentally important. And I agree with you. I love that there is this, it seems to be a pretty general shift in most of our generation that we are trying to encourage diversity with our kids. Do you see that being reflected on the bookshelf, even though it's not, I'm not saying it's equal. Like I'm not saying we're, we're leveling out there. But I feel like I'm seeing more diversity when I go to Barnes and Noble and things like that. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think right when Barth Baby started and when I launched the company, the We Need Diverse Books movement started. They literally were right in parallel. And it, it was so empowering because it created this conversation in publishing, in Kidslet. There's movements for own voices where people of color are writing their own stories because too frequently these stories were written by not the people of the community. And as a result, the stories were problematic. Like the stories were the things I was finding. They were right. problematic, insensitive, inaccurate. And so what we pride ourselves in our company of what we do is instead of typically in a publishing house, the author's manuscript, the author comes, their manuscript gets signed, and then they don't have any contact with their editor. The editor finds the illustrator, and then the editor sort of is that go-between is that person who translates and does it. Whereas for us, it's an entire company that's doing it. You know, it's me, it's my two other co-founders, it's the author and illustrator working in concert with each other to create a text that is rich, that is culturally accurate, that is community curated. And that's something we really pride ourselves on. We have a series of books about Ramadan and Eid, which comes, which, you know, is a lunar, celebration in the Muslim community. It's one of the holiest months of their year. And we have two books and nobody in on my staff is Muslim. You know, I, my family is from a part of India that has a huge Muslim population. So my parents actually draw on those experiences and we grew up with Muslim best friends and so could draw, but I knew I didn't experience it. So we reached out to the community. I had people of who the Muslim faith, who are also of the Indian faith, read our manuscript at the onset to tell me, nope, that doesn't work. Yes, that doesn't work. And we 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 let go of two or three manuscripts because they didn't reflect a community's experience. And it makes it so much richer that we have done that. And I think that that's an important lesson that any business owner can really walk away with is that it's valuable to bring in people of a diverse background to get their opinions on things like your marketing efforts. So my background is in marketing. And when it comes to like the images that people are selecting to use for their ads, diversity is a serious issue there as well. Yes. Bringing in all of these other people. And I actually, I've written my first children's book and made a decision after it was already written that I wasn't going to give my main character a gender. Like that was just one of the decisions that I made. So I decided the main character would be Mm non-binary, but I also knew (laughs) I am not non-binary and I don't know anybody especially well that is non-binary. So I seeked out a non-binary copywriter and I didn't even realize that a sensitivity read is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) It was one of those learning experiences, but I think it kind of opened my eyes to this whole concept of it's a, you know, we should be sourcing feedback from a diverse group of people so that we can ensure that we're not unintentionally being insensitive. Yeah. And I think, or just like glazing over in Wikipedia, I think 
authors of color, illustrators of color don't just want to do those books. Just like I don't think a writer, like a a white writer has to be limited to that. That's not what this movement is about. Mm -hmm. It's not what we're trying to say. What we are trying to say is inclusivity and sensitivity is vital in the co-creation of these stories. And that's like a key principle to our publishing house and how we create text that is very different from what the big five in publishing are doing. Well, I think that this is awesome. I would love to know how having these books has impacted your kids. Um, (laughs) It's so funny because my kids don't understand a world where they're not seen. And I I find that so phenomenal Um, because of what I do and where I am. I am like really blessed to just like get to be friends with really cool authors and illustrators and meet them. And I like completely fangirl out when I meet them. And like my daughter gets like signed copies of books and she devours them. And to her, she's like, she, she sees herself, you know, there's this great series called Yasmin, which is about this young little Muslim girl. That That's great. It's like an early chapter book. And so my daughter's just on the, like just on the age where that's her thing. And she loves that series because one of the key reasons is because the little girl, Yasmin calls her daughter Baba, you know, and that's what my daughter calls her father. And so she can see herself. My son can see himself and they, they don't have a world where that didn't exist, where I most certainly did, you know, the close idea. So you can see the the stark difference in the way that they're growing up compared to what you remember of your childhood. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite stories is a very good friend who is typically when I have a pre-order campaign, she's typically either one or she's either one, two or three to the purchase my books. And it's, it's like a joke with me. I'm like, Oh, you're only number two. She's like, I'll try better next time at clicking in the cart. Um, and she is there. She has a wife and she has two daughters and her daughter one day was like, I'm not eating dinner. And her daughter was like, and mom was like, why? Like you, you have to eat dinner. She's like, it's Ramadan. It's not sundown. I can't eat. I can't break my fast. So she got that from one of our Ramadan books. She was like referencing Amal's Ramadan. Yeah. And her mom was recounting the story to me. And she's like, isn't it wonderful for a white girl with a lesbian mom to be referencing this just in such a way that it's like part of her vernacular, her colloquialisms that she is saying, I'm not going to, she's like, it's like her escape. She's like, it's Ramadan. Sun's sun's still up. Can't eat dinner. (laughs) Right. Right. I I got it right. And she got, she hit it all. And I was like, that is phenomenal because what I think is so much more powerful is that my kids, their classmates and that generation don't bat an eyelash when it's Ramadan and their friend is observing fast. They're just like, oh yeah, you can't have anything. You know, they don't bat an eyelash when it's Diwali. You know, I, I think some of those, um, I always tell people I'm much more than a holiday. <laughs> I'm much more than a special episode, you know, and I tell people that we celebrate, our, our company celebrates everything from the everyday to the extraordinary. But like those little moments, of the hol- holidays, especially, become the easy latch ons 
But now it's just, yeah. Like, you know, the best thing someone can say to me is like, yeah, I know about that. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Because of our books. Right. That's awesome. Now, what does balance look like in your house? Uh, balance is tricky. So I, I tell people this, I have a full-time job. So I work a job that pays the bills and it's not like, it, it's a pretty demanding job. Um, it's for like a fortune 500 company. Um, and I'm really lucky that I have some amazing coworkers and who know what I do and who help me balance. So that could mean that like, I need to take a PTO day to pitch to angel investors. It could mean that they're going to come to me to a pitch competition because I need some loud voices in the audience. And so that helps me to stay balanced. And I do that. And I'm honest. You know, I think there are a lot of people in my place who could hide that. And I think that would have created a lot of anxiety for me. And so I just wanted everyone to know my true self. I give my I can give my all in two places because I'm a woman. I'm able to multitask, you know, and then I have my family who is phenomenal. I have a husband with just a, as demanding job as I do, if not more, who is doing bedtime right now, who can cook dinner, who knows when he has early mornings, who encourages me to travel because he sees the passion and he understands it. And because it's reciprocity. Because when he has those same needs, I am there. And it takes communication for us to make sure we are balancing our schedules because, you know, the kids can't watch themselves. But um, that has been really key. And then I take my kids. I take my kids. Like, if I have a launch, my kids are going to be there. You know, it's going to be scheduled on weekend. They're driving down to New Jersey with me. You know, if I have to go to a conference, come on down. Like I think they're part of my identity. And so to be able to have them there and now they're starting to see the magic of it. They're starting to love being at booths with me. And my daughter is at an age where she can help me. She can ring up customers and stuff. And it's so adorable to see something that I created really as I was had her, you know, to have her be a part of it. Now, is she, has she started writing any books or taken any entrepreneurial endeavors herself? She does. Yeah, she's both. So like her and her friend for a while were making like these little cards. Like they just tear pieces of paper and decorate them and they were sell, t- selling them for money. Um, no specific amounts and stuff. So I feel like the entrepreneurial piece, I was like, hmm, I feel like we need to work on your go-to-market strategy, you guys. <laughs> what's your business plan? Who's your target audience? None of that was quite set yet. She did. She does write books and it's um, really amazing. Amy, who I talked about before, she locally started this group called Little Authors Club, where she teaches like five to six-year-olds just the principles of writing a story. And she has these little booklets that she gives every class. And like each class, they go through a principle of what like a protagonist is, an antagonist, or like scary story of the story. And she, I don't understand how she can command an, a, like a group of like six-year-olds. That's my, the most terrifying thing to me, but she does. <laughs> and my daughter learned how to write stories. And one of her first books she wrote last year, it's called her, My Ballerina Book. And it's about a ballerina, surprisingly enough who I don't doesn't do much and then her next story I think was about a unicorn 
I don't remember, but she, she like writes and illustrates and I love it. It's so cool to me to see that she's excited about something. And my kids always have businesses now. Mm-hmm. They have businesses, they're running businesses, things have businesses. Like my son, he believes that chia seeds come from cheetahs and that cheetahs have a business making them. And they bring them to your house, by the way, the cheetahs. They bring oh. Yeah, no, I don't That's know if dangerous. Exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're like, it's the most amazing, like, toddler preschoolism. Like, I get how he could figure out chia seeds, cheetah. I can see the, like, relationship in the sounds. Yeah. And I love how he's just run with it. Just ran with it. <laughs> they come to your house. They bake them in the oven, by the way. They eat something, they bake it, and then it comes out and they crush it. And that's how you get chia seeds. Oh, very interesting. I love seeing how kids' brains work. One of my favorite things to do when my kids ask me a question is just to, you know, slingshot it right back to them Mm -hmm. and ask them what they think, like what they think the answer is. And then hearing them come up with what is a totally logical answer in their brains. Yeah, it makes sense. But like, I'm never going to let go of the fact that he thinks chia seeds come from cheetahs. Like he's going to be like 25 and like bring home someone and be like, you know where chia seeds come from? Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to get him like a big industrial size chia seed thing. Yeah. For, like, a gift. Yeah, exactly. Of chia seeds. I know, I know. It'll be hilarious. So what do you have in store for the rest of this year? Yeah, so this is our five-year, this will be our five-year anniversary, which is, um, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe, I can't believe it. Um, we'll be launching our 14th book in the fall wow. of this year to sell, help celebrate that. And when that comes out, it's, um, it's, 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 it's an amazing title that does a wonderful job of culminating our mission and vision. We have three books coming out next year and we are continuing to pitch. We're continuing to look for angel investors. Um, What we're doing is certainly not the next startup. If you're looking for, you know, a 3000 X return over a year, that's not me. I I'll be honest, but the social impact and the, the power of our books is goes beyond that. So we're really looking for that person who sees our vision, hears our mission and is ready to support us financially. Cause I would love for this to just be my full-time job. Right. Yeah. So is there, yeah. Is there opportunities for parents who may be listening, who may be interested in writing or interested in illustrating? Could they pitch an idea to you or could they work with you in some way? Yeah, so our really, um, some of our criteria, it may be on our website, I can't remember now. Um, a really only requirement is that it's a South Asian protagonist. And and that's really it. I think the world has a lot of Diwali stories. And, you know, while I'm willing to always write another one, I'm really excited and encouraged to see stories of just South Asian kids being South Asian kids. Because um, the world needs more of those books too. Sure. And what can we as parents do to start curating our bookshelves? I mean, I feel like that's a very overwhelming thought for me as the mom of four kids with 11 years worth of children's books. How do I flush out some of the 
the bad ones. Some of the, some, right. Some there's, of the bad stuff and some, bring in more diversity. Yeah. I think um, what's great, like within our generation, like we're realizing just how bad some books are and some have overt are overtly mm-hmm. racist and some are covertly racist. And I think it's really, really important to start understanding that and realize that the book I grew up with is not the book I want to give to my child. And that's okay. I don't, I'm not racist because I read it and my child might not become racist because they're reading it, but that doesn't matter. We now know it's racist. So we're, we're just going to say no to it. There are plenty, 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 plenty of other books out there. Next, I think like a great place to start is starting, is, is starting to just simply go think about the ways that families are diverse and people are diverse and see if they're represented on your bookshelves and then filling in the gaps. Like, do I have a book that represents um, a single parent family? Do I have a book that represents um, a lesbian family, a gay family? Like it it sounds so like you're checking a checkbox, but it then starts to get you thinking and seeing all the other titles and gaps and spaces. Um, Instagram is actually a phenomenal place for kids lit. Um, there's some phenomenal people to follow on there. Here we read, um, con- the conscious kids, like all of them are really good at talking about why it's so important to be actively, you know, they call it like decolonizing your bookshelves essentially, mm-hmm. because it, it's what you have to, you have to actively do it. It's, and it is hard and it is overwhelming. And I hear the question a lot and I'm like, you're having the conversation with me now. So just do it. Like start with my books. That's great. I love, I love it. If you do, you know, start with them and then also actively do things like when it's kids read aloud day, you know, at your school, bring a book that features a diverse character, go to your library and ask them for, you know, the collection of our books or another diverse publisher and author, you know, little actions like that, that might not require any of your money um, have an impact, not only for us, but also as a publisher, but also have an impact on the kids. Sure. Just because they can see more on the bookshelves to choose from. Exactly. That isn't the same old stuff. Exactly. Or like you said, the, the bad stuff from years past. And we, we've actually, my family is a mixed race family. So my oldest daughter is biracial. Um, she identifies as black mm-hmm. and we've been gifted racist books from people who thought that they were somehow doing us a service. Like I, I believe, like I, I have to believe in my heart of hearts that these people were giving oh. us these books because they saw the diversity on them but the art in the books was not okay. The words that were used were, were not okay. Yeah. It's, it's astonishing what's out there. It is astonishing. And I think I go back to that first moment of like being like, what, how is this even allowed? You know, how is this okay? And you realize that like, because publishing has become like was predominantly owned by like, and still is like white male cis, European, like, okay, like they hold the purse strings. And then there was self-publishing and self-publishing is phenomenal because I think it breaks down barriers and it democratizes this process. However, not everybody should be like a children's book writer. 
And it's okay. Like I like it's okay. Even like it's okay. But it's like you see, and and the because they're trying to write like racist without even knowing it. Right. And that's how like we just have to continue to break it down and actively toward work towards a more democratized bookshelf, which is, you know, my mission. <laughs> and it's attainable a little bit at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where can people buy your books? Yeah. So uh, the best place to buy it from, from us is um, on our website, buyerthbabies.com. In doing so, you allow us to keep the largest margin, and that means we can reinvest in our books the most. When you buy with Amazon, and believe me, I have a package sitting downstairs from Amazon, just to give everybody perspective, you buy a book from Amazon, it's going to take them six to eight months before they give me any of that money. That's probably fine for a Procter & Gamble, less so for a small publishing house like me. So it's not a lot of money. No, No, it's also not a lot of money. Um, You know, and I know we sort of, um, Amazon has created this wonderful space where I have to be on there. And somehow people think it's really wonderful that I'm on there and that it's an accomplishment, but it's by no means um, either one of those. But we're on there and we've been number one in their category. So awesome. Well, I will link to the Barrett Baby site because I know it's, it's got a unique spelling. What's yes. the, can you tell me what's the background? Like what does Barrett yeah. mean? Yeah. So um, the name was um, thought of pretty instantly by my co-founder and little sister, Srivani. And Bharat is the Hindi name for India. And um, it has a lot of different connotations, some political meanings and stuff, but it's essentially mother India. Um, as Bharat and so like because our original tagline was inspired by India made for little hands and so that's how we got the name but we're so much more awesome I absolutely love it so I will link to that in the show notes and I just want to thank you for taking some time I really enjoyed this conversation I feel like diversity is definitely one of my core values and so I'm happy to share this message with my listeners and learn a little bit about how you're balancing everything. too. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are the best. I really appreciated chatting with you and talking to talking to everyone. All right. Thank you. Thank you. You'll find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 154. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, now is the perfect time. Go ahead to whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this very podcast in and hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss another episode. I also encourage you to join the Familypreneur community. Head on over to familypreneurcommunity.com and hit the join button. In that group, we continue the conversations every single week, and we would love to have you there. Until next time, have a really great week, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye. a favor share this podcast to a friend it's like my mom always says sharing is caring